This is about humans dreaming together. About humans supporting each other on our journeys. It's about the science and the art behind making our dream lives a reality. To the students of life. The young and the curious. The dreamers and the doers. To those who crave to be a strong individual. And want to be part of something bigger than themselves. Welcome. 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 Welcome to the Dreamology Podcast. What's going on, everybody? It's your host, Tim Bishop, back with another episode of the Dreamology Podcast. Remember, we are here because in school, we didn't learn about how to make our dream lives a reality. And so here we are studying how to do that, and we are making sure that we're all making daily progress towards our dream lives. For me, it's been a little bit over 18 months since I made the conscious decision to try to make my dream life a reality. And in that process, I am trying to grow, to transform, to connect, to love, to contribute, and to really just see what the best life looks like for me. And I want to help others do the same. And these conversations are a way that I can do that. And so I'm really excited to introduce today's guest. Let's get to it. Today's guest has an incredible story. He was a meth addict for 11 years. And in this episode, we talk about how he broke that cycle in his life and now how he is choosing to live a life of spirituality, of growth, of abundance, and most importantly, of service. We talk about how he has now fulfilled his lifelong dream of being an author, how he has been commemorated by the FBI for the community service that he is now doing in the area of San Francisco, and how he is truly trying to change the relationship between law enforcement and the community in the San Francisco area, which is obviously a huge topic right now in the world. Keep in mind that this conversation happened pre-COVID and pre the killing of George Floyd. And so we talk about law enforcement and we talk about its relationship to the community of San Francisco and in Ed's life. Keep in mind that it's just with his experiences and what he's trying to solve. And we do not really talk about the race issues with law enforcement. So with all that being said, here is Ed Cressy. Ed, thanks for joining us. How are you doing? Tim, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. That is good. I'm, I'm happy that you're excited. Um, so yeah, let's, let's dive right in um, because I know we got a lot to talk about. So I think we should just go straight to, to the point that interests me the most is that you had made a decision at a certain point to change the course of action um, in your life. And you had been a, a user, correct? A, a math user for 11 years. Was that the time frame? I think you're being, uh, you're, you're right. You're being, uh, you're being polite. I was a hardcore methamphetamine addict, uh, but you okay. like your term also. I'm, I'm actually most curious, uh, to start. There was a decision you made when you said, okay, this is, it's time to quit. It's time to, to rebuild. And I, I want to know why you made that decision and how you went about making the choice that it was time to, to, take life in a new direction after 11, 11 years. Yeah. Uh, thanks Tim. And I was giving you a little bit of a hard time, <laughs> ago, but I'll tell you user, when you, when you use the term user, I think of someone taking little sniffs of, uh, of meth or Coke or something at a high class party with, uh, you know, champagne and people, uh, you know, movie stars and, and athletes, not, not necessarily doing drugs, but someone like me, you know, in the background taking, 
little sniffs at some high class event. That was not me. Although it might have been how I started in certain ways. But in 2007, you know, I was just a hardcore uh, living in a flop house hotel with mm. a little sink in the corner where I would ash my cigarettes and wash my clothes and urinate. That was my life. You know, I was mm. uh, shambling the sidewalks and lurking in doorways, having screaming matches with people who weren't even there because I was in meth psychosis. For years, I'd been hearing disembodied voices and believing in these vast FBI conspiracies trying to pin 9-11 on me. All my family, friends, former employees, employers, everyone I'd ever known involved in these uh, delusional conspiracies that I thought were targeting me. And for your listeners, you know, I, I'm the story of having gone from Yale to jail. You know, the Park Avenue, from Park Avenue to the Park Bench, from Penn State to the State Penn. You know, this was my story. I had amazing opportunities in life, college education, career with a company that went on to become the number one best company in America to work for, according to Fortune magazine. Mm. I owned a home here in incredible San Francisco. I took all that and much more threw it away to decades of drug addiction that I put myself in. To, uh, to circle back to your question, yeah, I, I had accepted, I, I learned to accept a lot. I learned mm -hmm. to accept surroundings that were jail cells, uh, uh, incarcerated in the psychiatric ward, nights in homeless shelters, years in destitution, terrible psychological and physical surroundings. Mm -hmm. I had just learned to accept that. And, and that was my life. I got to a point where I could no longer delude myself, that I was never going to achieve my dreams. I was never going to rebound. I was never going to hope for things to get better unless I began doing the very hard work of not only quitting drugs, which I did, but also to pursue a path. My path mm. was spirituality, self-improvement, service to others. I'm very mm. fortunate. Incredible people inspired me along the way. It was very hard work. That's what got me to, uh, to the point where I'm at today. Wow. Yeah. So what, what was there anything that was like inherently different about like the time when you decided that it was time to make the change in the previous 11 years. I mean, cause like, I feel like again, 11 years is a long, that's a long period of time. And to even have the mental capacity to say, I need to do this. I still find to be in, like incredible. Um, so was there, was there situational factors that were like, it's, it's a now or never sort of thing, or did you just make that switch in your head? You just changed the story and you said it is like, it needs to happen. I need to, to take my life in a new path. Yeah, there, there are, you know, there are conscious and subconscious factors in a decision like mine and maybe for your listeners as well. For me, the conscious factors were I, my choices had boiled down really to just a few. I could get locked up. I could get covered up like six feet of earth covered up or I could get sobered up. You know, mm -hmm. those were really my only options. I could go into mm -hmm. long-term homelessness or something. Basically, the, the path I was on was, was just not an acceptable path anymore. Right. And if, you know, if you're listening and you find yourself in your car and you're uh, 20 or 30 pounds overweight and you're drinking uh, right now a Starbucks, you know, 500 calorie with the sugar muffin next to it, if this is your life, First of all, no judgments about you because my poor decisions put me in circumstances much worse than yours. But I think the question is, you know, if you can learn anything from my life and from the terrible mistakes I made, 
mm. from the people I hurt and, and myself being one of those people, you know, it's a, it's a good time to examine your life and figure out where your path might be going. You know, that, mm. that's what I did. I was able to either consciously or subconsciously kind of look ahead. For, for me, my life just, just wasn't going to get any better. Yeah. I could hope for my life not to get worse. I could hope to not get arrested the next day. I could hope to not get evicted. But, but really, my life was not getting any better. So, the, you know, the lesson is, um, the, the lesson is you know, take, take a look at the future. And if, if where you're at is acceptable, then that's one thing. But if it's not acceptable, like my life at a subconscious level, I, I understood my life was not acceptable, that I would never achieve my dreams. I would never become a writer. I would never be able to, uh, to serve my communities. I would never be able to pursue a spiritual path. These were not all conscious things, except for being a writer. Uh, you know, being a writer was a dream all my life. But, you know, underneath uh, subconsciously were always these, these passions, these mm. pathways that I, at some level I understood were out there. Spirituality, self-improvement, service to others. It took putting aside my addictive behavior. And, and again, I was at the very extreme of addictive behavior. It took me, I understood at some level I had to put that aside. That's what motivated me to do the extremely hard work for a number of years to stay clean and to live a meaningful life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's incredible. And you brought up some really interesting points there that I want to touch on because I, as I reflect, you know, I'm always thinking about your story in relation to my story, in relation to someone else's story. And, you know, the idea of, <clears throat> I think I briefly mentioned this to you before, the idea of kind of necessity versus, versus the idea of, of, you know, how do you paint the necessary picture in your brain? Because in your scenario, the necessary picture was, was maybe a little bit more clear than the person who's on their way to their job. They don't like, but it's okay. But you know, they're a little bit overweight, but they don't like, you know, the, the, the call to action might not be as severe, like to be, to be blunt about it, it might not be as severe, but I've been doing this in my life because I think it's, yeah, Brendan Bouchard, have you, I don't know if you've heard of him, but he has his high performance habits. And one of them is necessity. And he said, you can't fake this. You have to either one find, I think that's like an absolute necessary. Like I won't eat if I don't do this, or you have to like reframe this scenario in your head to, to make it. So you have to make that jump. And I think the scary part is, and that's the question I want to ask you next is you had talked about how I read a few articles that you had written where you said, it wasn't just the idea of, of quitting. It was that you knew that the problem wasn't the drug, the drug use. The problem was that there was parts of your life that, that weren't right. And you used the drug as a solution. And you knew when you took that solution out, you were going to have to find real different solutions. So I want to talk to you about how I know in this journey of you faced your fears, you quit, and then you dive into things to find solutions. Some of those being spirituality, meditation, can you touch on some of those things that you decided to delve into to um, cause like you said, you had the job, you had the, the college education, you had those things, but you needed more. Can you touch on that journey of, of trying to find those new solutions that were going to make your life feel, uh, feel whole? Oh yeah, absolutely. And the idea of necessity is a wonderful one. It's a great discussion. If you believe like I do, that this life is one stage along a vast journey, then maybe you can think about what comes next along that journey, and that might necessitate you making the changes you need to make. You were put here 
if you believe in a similar fashion as I. You were put here, you were given dreams, you were given aspirations, you were given your true and best self somewhere within you. Maybe you're living it right now, maybe you're living it 100%, or 50%, or 10%, or whatever you're living it at. You know, you have these inspirations, you have these dreams, you were put on this earth to be the wonderful person you are. And if you're thinking about necessity, maybe consider that the one thing that we really know about the future is that our time upon this earth will end. Hmm. Right? It won't be for years and years, for many, at least for me, it won't be for years and years, it won't be for decades, probably, hopefully. But <laughs> I know for a fact my time upon this earth will end. And what do I want to come next? Or at the very least, what do I want to look back upon? Do yeah. I want to look back upon, yeah, do, do I want to look back, do I want to look at a bank statement, you know, or, or, uh, or a mutual fund statement? Do I want to look back upon a number of hours I put into an office job? There's nothing wrong with those things. But for me personally, I want to look back upon a life and I want to answer to a, to a universe or a higher power or whatever the right term might be. I want to say that I did something to give to my communities to be of service to others, to use what talents and aspirations I may have been blessed with to do something for the world around me. That's mm -hmm. what took me out of my addiction. That's what got mm -hmm. me from a place of taking, taking, taking from society to a place where I can bring some measure of good to the world around me. That's mm -hmm. what gives me meaning. That's what gives me the necessity for life. That's, that's what guides me. As far as the other part of your question, Tim, there was no, there's no fairy tale that I've ever found. There's no magic formula. There, there's no, you know, snap your finger. You mentioned Brandon Bouchard. I've listened to some of its stu his stuff. It's awesome. There are so many incredible people out there. There's, uh, you know, I can just rattle off name after name after. Yeah, yeah. I listen to all of them, but you know, it's a, it's a matter of um, if you've heard of Jim Rohn. Yeah. Old, old school, yeah. Old school mm -hmm. motivational speaker, Jim Rohn. He says there's uh, there's two pains. There's the pain of discipline and the pain of regret. Hmm. The pain of discipline, that's tough because it's right now, man. You know, yeah. we, we got to be disciplined. We got to get up and, and, and do what we need to do right now. And that's painful. But the pain of regret, hmm. that's much worse. And it lasts for a lifetime. And we don't want that pain of regret decades from now or years from now or even months from now. We don't want to have that pain of regret. We want to instead take the pain of discipline and apply that to our lives and, and do the hard work that needs to be done with the Brendan Bouchards and the Oprah Winfrey's and the, uh, and the Nelson Mandela's and the incredible people out there teach us. At least that's the, uh, that's how I was taught. And that's what's worked for me. That would got yeah. yeah, that got me out of some terrible circumstances to lead a beautiful life. Yeah, no, I like that. I mean, that definitely, that definitely paints the necessity picture a bit. And like you said, you know, life, I mean, there's examples all the time, but life, yeah, you never know. You never know how long you're going to get. And painting that picture of, of I mean, I, I love doing that too, the regret, the regret exercise where you always, in 20 years, like, what am I going to, what am I going to look back on and say, man, I really wish I did that. Or I really wish I didn't do that. That, that's also worked for me too. And I know there's a lot of ways you can do that kind of exercise, but I, I'm happy that you brought that up because that's, clearly super powerful and it, and it just goes into the power of the mind and I'm, I'm super interested like what you've learned about the ability of the mind and of humans to overcome adversity because I think this was in your your uh, LinkedIn uh, bio but I think it said like triumph is is possible to st despite hopelessness like that was one of your 
your kind of main lessons taken away. And I'm, I'm just curious what comments you have on the power of, of humans or, or of your mind to get yourself out of basically any scenario possible and what lessons you have out of that. Yeah, well, well first of all, there, uh, there, many people have overcome far more challenging things than I ever have. People will, will never, whose names have been forgotten, people who've done incredible things on behalf of themselves and others. The, one of the most important things I've learned is that what we focus on expands. Whatever we seek, we're generally going to find. If I get up out of bed and I say, you know what, everything sucks, people are out to get me, the world's got my number, that's what I'm going to find in life. Whereas on the other hand, if I'm saying, hey, there are opportunities, uh, there, there are things I can contribute, there are ways I can improve, that's what life will hand me. The, the, we, what I found is that reality doesn't shape our thoughts nearly so much as our thoughts create our reality. And mm. these are things that have been explained by far wiser, uh, more knowledgeable people than I. This is the most important thing is that you know, when we control our thoughts, we control our lives and whatever, you know, what, what do, if 10 things happen to me and nine of them ain't good, I'm going to focus on that one that is good. Hmm. I'm going to focus on the one and that one is going to expand into two, into four, into eight. That's what I've learned. Now it's again, it's not a fairy tale. It, it's not a, uh, th there's a spiritual text called the Bhagavad Gita, the Hindu spiritual text. And in it, the, the character says uh, that trying to control our mind is like trying to control the wind. Hmm. It, it is like that. But, you know, when I found for myself and others have taught me that when we, when we can control our thoughts, when we can direct our thoughts, when we, we can create in our minds a future reality that we want, we are much more likely to, uh, to find our way to that reality. And I know for me and others, it it's can bring us out of some incredibly dark, uh, terrible places again, both physically and uh, psychologically, because my mind was in a much worse place than my body ever was. Yeah. Interesting. And so talk to me a bit about the types of, of meditation or spiritual practices that you do. Um, I assume an attempt to control those thoughts a bit or to guide those thoughts or to, to train the brain a bit. Um, I'm curious what kind of things you do to now keep yourself in this state of mind and help prevent yourself from bringing the, the mind back to where it was in, in uh, previous years. Yeah, I have no idea what I'm doing <laughs> when it comes to meditation. I, I found uh, I have had some amazing teachers. I found that the practice itself can be an incredible teacher. For 10 or 12 years now, I've meditated pr pretty much every day. There have been a number of meditation sessions where I've thought about what shirt I'm going to wear that day. You know, I, I thought, like I said, I have barely any idea what I'm doing. Recently, in the past year, I found a guy named Joe Dispenza. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Mm. Joe Dispenza. He's, a, he's great because he, I, I think he's great because he marries modern uh, quantum physics with ancient spiritual wisdom. Mm. So I apply his meditative techniques. Uh, unless, you're, uh, unless you're interested, I won't go into a long description of what he does. The point for me is... Really adopt a practice, a daily practice. If you meditate for five minutes, or three minutes, whatever you do, anything we do every day, we're going to get better at. Yeah. You know, my, my first teacher, meditation teacher, an incredible guy, he spent like seven years in a Zen monastery, 
he liked to explain it uh, in, he liked to say that, you know, if we go to a gym and we do arm curls, you know, with dumbbell arm curls, if we do that every day, our biceps are going to get bigger or, or more toned or more defined. Mm -hmm. you know, if we do those arm curls with weights every day, our arms can't not get bigger or our arms can't not get stronger so long as we have nutrition and proper rest and whatnot. Meditation, it was explained to me, is very similar. If we can meditate every day, if we adopt a daily practice and we stay committed and dedicated to it, we can't not improve. Hmm. I never right. found any quick path. I never found any, I never uh, got to be a, a very adept at practicing Vipassana or, um, or any of the incredible uh, practices that are out there. But I, I committed to it every day. And I, I know I keep circling back, but my mind was in some incredibly dark, uh, hopeless-seeming places. And a meditation, spiritual practice brought me out of that. Yeah. No, cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I have had a practice myself for about two years now. And I, it's something that I... I look into a lot and I like, I mean, it seems that you have just quite the learner's mindset now. And I like that. Cause again, I think there's an article that I read of yours. I was reading a few before we hopped on here and I, this, it might not be a direct quote, so correct me if I'm wrong, but it was something like the day that I know that I'm, I'm absolutely right is the day that I know that I'm wrong. And you were kind of referring to spirituality and, and meditation. And, and I just, I liked how you said that. Cause it's basically saying the day, you know, you think you're right is the day you stop learning the day you stop having an open mind the day you stop exploring with new things. So I, I'm getting that it's coming across when you're talking now, it sounds like you've been practicing for 11 years and you've had multiple teachers that you're, you're, you're always thinking about what new ways you can learn it and what new things you can get yourself into. So it's, it's a good lesson for, for me to also adopt that open-mindedness about, about learning. I, I really, yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. Excellent. In the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities in the expert's mind are few, right? Yeah. <laughs> Alan Watts, maybe so someone. Yeah. 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 You got a lot of quotes in your head. I like it. <laughs> well, I'll tell you that there's not a, a problem that I've encountered or, uh, or a question that I've been asked that hasn't been thought about by someone far wiser than me. Hmm. So I go back to quotes all the time because there's, I've, I've always read or heard something uh, put forth by someone with much more wisdom than me. So I look to that person for uh, inspiration and guidance. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah, that's humility at, at its finest there. Uh, I like that though. It's very true. There's a lot of smart people out in the world. <laughs> it's good to learn, good to learn from them. Um, I want to, I want to dive in one more second to the, cause again, this was interested. I was interested in this, um, in the idea that the, the comment you made about how, you know, people always think that the, the drug is the problem, but again, in your mindset that, it was a solution to a problem. And I, I, I just compare that to, you know, and, and, and from a variety of spectrums to alcohol, to marijuana, to even coffee or to, to the junk food you eat or whatever, whatever your like thing is that you do to, to kind of be a solution to, to a problem that you're facing or fill a void. Um, when you, when you look at your life now um, and you, see a problem arise like thinking about for listeners right like when you see a problem arise how do you how would you avoid or what, what advice would you give to like try to break some of those instinctual habits which would be like ah, i'm feeling stressed out i'm gonna just have a drink instead of maybe the right thing to do which would be to like sit with it and solve it or like do you have any like i'm just i'm super fascinated about 
how you phrase that and how you think about that. And I don't, I don't know if you have any comments on, on just that relationship between like the solution and the problem sort of relationship that that's kind of going on there. When I look at my life now and in the past, and I think of every problem I have or have ever had, there's one thing in common with each and every problem in my life ever. Do you know what that one thing is? Hmm. Me. Me. I'm in common. I'm part of every problem that I've ever had and ever will have. So, you know, Tim, I was taught very early on in, in getting clean off drugs that, you know, if nothing changes, then nothing changes, right? Mm. If I keep doing the same old thing, I'm going to keep getting the same old thing. Mm. And when, when I have a, a problem, one thing is for sure is that something's got to change, right? right? I have something's got, and the other thing that's almost, the other thing with near certainty is that if I expect somebody else to change or the world to change, whether or not that person or thing, quote unquote, should change, it's going to be a lot harder to get the other person or my circumstances to change than it is to be to get me to change. Yeah. Right. And, and right. I'm not saying that things don't need to change or that people, uh, other people need to do things that may or may not be that that may be true in many cases. It may not. What I know is that I have control over myself, whereas I have very li limited, if any control over what's outside of me. So when I work on the internal when I work especially on my thoughts, these are the solutions to my, this is where I find the solutions. The, you know, to get back to your earlier point, if people understand one thing about drug addiction, at least in my case, in the case of many others, drugs, like you say, they're not the problem. Drugs are usually our attempt at a solution. So the problem is, at least for me, was I hated myself. The problem for me was I never pursued my dream of being a writer. The problem was I was always that little kid, bullied, afraid to stand up for himself on the playground, who couldn't talk to the popular kids in the high school hallways because they'd make fun of him. That was my problem. I was always that little kid. And so drugs were the first thing I felt like I was good at, or actually drinking was the first thing, but drugs soon after. Mm -hmm. So I used drugs as a way to escape myself. I used drugs as a way to solve my problem. Now, the, the insidious thing about that is that as a solution, drugs work, or your Starbucks latte work. And not to get down, I love Starbucks, by the way. I, I don't want <laughs> to get down on Starbucks by, by any means. Right. But, uh, you know, your, your sugar, your, your pornography, your, um, your self-destructive, whatever it may be, your uh, unhealthy relationships. If you're pursuing these behaviors in an addictive fashion, probably they are a solution for you. You know, probably they allow you to do things that you might not otherwise be able to do, which is uh, maybe escape or, or feel uh, worthwhile at something. Hmm. The point is, you know, once we leave our addictive behaviors behind, things usually get worse, right? Once when I quit smoking meth, even though I was in these horrible circumstances I described, when I quit smoking meth, things got worse because now I got no more solution. Now I have to be me. I, I've got nothing left to tamp down the negativity and self-hatred that I mm. felt. So w when we take away our addictive behaviors, when we take away the sugar, the cigarettes, the gambling, the porn, the whatever, now we've taken away our solution. The good news is addiction usually has a purpose. Addiction usually pushes us along pathways we otherwise would have never undertaken. 
it's hard. It's hard work. And again, there's, there's no fairy tale or magic uh, potion or magic bullet that I've ever found. But once we put those addictive behaviors aside and we can pursue new solutions, despite the hard work it entails, those new solutions often lead us to more beautiful, blessed lives full of love and gratitude than we could have ever imagined had we not been addicts. Hmm. This is what I found. There's a, you know, there's a great story. It's a, it's a quick story and it's, it's worth thinking about, uh, about a person who's hiking through the woods and encounters a butterfly emerging from a cocoon, right? And the butterfly is struggling. It's, it's fighting. It can't get, seem to get out of the cocoon. It's, it's struggling. It's struggling. It's struggling. So the person uh, takes a knife and starts to cut the cocoon, hoping to help the butterfly. The person is very well-intentioned, but the person's actually hurting that butterfly because it's that struggle, it's that fight to get out of the cocoon that mm. gives the butterfly's wings its strength to fly. Mm. The beautiful analogy being that, you know, sometimes we attempt to help people who are struggling. Our intentions may be good and the person we're trying to help may feel we have good intentions or it might seem right on the surface, but oftentimes it's that struggle that gives our quote unquote wings the strength we need to fly and carry us to beautiful, uh, wonderful states of being that we might otherwise never have arrived at. Yeah, that's a, that's a beautiful analogy. And I think your story is definitely a perfect example of, of that thing you talk about exactly, which is that the struggles and that's something that I've been thinking about a lot too, is just all of our struggles, all of our failures, all of the moments of hardship. Those are the things that, end up being your main thing you use to bring your life more joy or to go off and serve others. And so I want to talk about that now, looking forward to after that, which you, you know, you really felt inspired to start giving back to your community enough. So to where you got, was it, I, I correct me if I'm wrong here again on the, the phrasing, but it was a community service award from the FBI. Is this, was that, was that true? Or who was it from? Oh, it's in, yeah, it's incredible. Thank you. It was, yeah. Uh, no, I, I went to, uh, in the year 2000, I went to Bangkok, which you're familiar, you, you lived in Bangkok, right? I did, yeah. yeah. Six months. I wish I had done what you did. <laughs> uh, I was training in uh, kickboxing. I used to do a lot of, I used to compete. Oh, some, the Muay Thai? Yeah. Muay Thai, exactly. Nice, yeah. cool. You know, I was never, uh, I was never very good, but I got the chance to train in Bangkok. For me, it was more like a fantasy camp I yeah. with the professionals there. Uh, while I was there, I inadvertently befriended a guy who turned out to be one of the 9-11 hijackers, or so I thought. Okay, so I, I got, as I uh, sank deeper and deeper into my meth addiction, I developed this uh, conspiracy theory around a friend of mine. Uh, he was an actual person, a friend in Bangkok, who I believed had actually been a hijacker. And therefore, the FBI had architected this global conspiracy with, like I was saying before, you know, everyone is in on it. And it was just this, this very detailed, uh, consuming, gripping theory that I had. And I backed it up with all these uh, facts that, that I thought were. Anyway, the point is, Tim, the, uh, the reason that this is so important, at least in my life, is that my fear of the FBI, my uh, mistrust of, of the FBI was so deep that it took an incredible amount of inspiration, acts of will and hard work on my part to face my fear, to actually end up volunteering for the FBI. 
after all, after all, and I was really deep in this conspiracy. It wasn't just when I was smoking. When I quit meth in 07, my, consp my conspiracy fears got a lot better. Yet I discovered just because you're done with drugs doesn't mean drugs are done with you. Right. So the point is, I, I was really immersed in these FBI uh, fears of the FBI. It turned out once I started volunteering for them, I'm, I'm so grateful to this day to the FBI. They gave me the opportunity to start to they helped me along my path of turning my life around. The FBI gave me a second chance. The FBI gave me opportunities to contribute. They allowed me to become part of their selective citizens academy which is a program in which uh, citizens like me can assist the Bureau build bridges of trust between they and the communities they serve. In my case, I, to this day, I help the FBI better serve communities affected by incarceration and addiction. Uh, ultimately, incredibly, in 2020, no, I'm sorry, in 2019, I met, I, was, I received a community service award from the director of the FBI. Christopher Ray, yeah, they, I was one of 57 Americans. They brought me to Washington, D.C. I got a chance to shake his hand and receive an awesome award. It, it shows the potential for a person to turn his life around or her life around, to come from a place of deep fear and mistrust. And, and for mm -hmm. me, my, my I didn't think I was paranoid. I, I didn't think I was paranoid. I didn't think it was paranoia. To me, it was real. I mean, it wasn't like I thought maybe he was a 9-11 hijacker. I deeply believed that he was. So for me, this wasn't a game. It, it was my life. Uh, it was an incredible amount of work on my part, but without the inspiration from these individuals, it, there's little reason to do that hard work. So I'm, I'm very grateful. Yeah. Wow. What was, what was the moment like? Like, can you give me a little bit of your emotion? Like when you were actually receiving the award physically, was it, were you just like, was there just this insane moment of awe or like, how am I even, how am I even up here right now? <laughs> There, you know, there was. I remember the FBI director had a, had a strong grip. I, I remember, you know, I just got to meet him for a second. And uh, it was very impressive, this, the ceremony that the FBI uh, put forth. They really showed on that day a true dedication to recognizing citizens who, who contribute to their communities. They honored people who, uh, who work in the LGBTQ community who promote positive perceptions of uh, Muslim cultures, who uh, work with um, helping formerly incarcerated persons. Uh, not Maybe not all of those uh, persons on that particular day, but if you look back through the, uh, through the history of this FBI award, these are the types of individuals who received this community service award. It's incredible. And yeah, for me, uh, Tim, all that's true. Yes, it was uh, a, surreal, a surreal moment of, you know, gratitude for all the incredible help I received. But I'll tell you, the very next day, I was up at, uh, I don't know, 4 a.m. meditating and thinking, how am I gonna do better? Yeah. How am I, not, not necessarily do better, but how am I gonna keep this going? How am I gonna better serve my communities? How am I gonna uh, bring more value to people around me? It was an incredible day at FBI headquarters, but the next day, you know, I started thinking, okay, let's, let's keep it going. Let's keep working and keep fighting on behalf of all the people that came before me. That, that was definitely my mindset and has been ever since. Yeah. Awesome. That's, that's great. Um, yeah. I love how you, 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 you appreciated the, the award and the honor, but you also said this is a story is not over. It's time to, to keep going. And so since then, 
what kind of service work and, and uh, other work and projects have you been uh, involved in and, and been pursuing? Like, I'm curious now how you view, you know, your purpose and the things that you're doing and, and how those two things align. Yeah, oh, my, my niche is to form bridges of trust between incarcerated communities and law enforcement, which is a, a challenge. Uh, I myself was incarcerated briefly. I only served a couple of months in county jail and was locked up in the psych ward for a little while. Yet uh, I do things like, you know, just this past weekend, I was in Pelican Bay State Prison, which is uh, here in California. It's a maximum security prison. This is a place where they incarcerate men whom society usually considers among the very worst of the very worst. This is the label that society has placed upon these men. They are all convicted of violent crime, murder in many cases. Almost all of them are gang members. They're in the Crips or the Bloods or the Nazi Lowriders or the Aryan Brotherhood. Um, the guys I work with are are individuals who are accepted into a selective program and who've really applied themselves. So they may not necessarily represent the entirety of the persons incarcerated in Pelican Bay State Prison. But Tim, what I can tell you and your listeners is having spent three solid days sitting down, working closely one-on-one -on -one with these men whom society considers among the very worst of the very worst, in almost all cases, had these men I worked with been given the same opportunities as me, they would have turned out fine. You know, they really would have. You, you can get a sense from, of a person sitting across from him or her. Um, Tim, you know, I was brought up, society gave me unfair advantages, let's face it, because of the color of my skin, because of my socioeconomic background. These things sound obvious to say, but until you've spent a few days, like I was able to spend working with persons who, again, have that label of the worst of the worst and, and really uh, feel the vibe from them and sense where their hearts and their minds and their souls are at, it, uh, it it's a, it's a, brings to a profound level a depth of understanding about how society, I feel, needs to level our playing fields and provide others the same opportunities that I have. Second chances, they benefit the receiver, like me. I was given a lot of second chances. But second chances also benefit the giver, which is society in this case. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one thing. I've, I've been doing more work inside prisons. I lead. Every Thursday, I go into a women's unit of San Francisco County Jail and lead a Toastmasters meeting, which for those who don't know, Toastmasters is a public speaking organization. The other thing I do is work with law enforcement. I give uh, a couple of weeks ago, I delivered a couple of short motivational talks to officers at a local police station to inspire them that their work does help turn lives around. Police officers help me turn my life around. Hmm. It's a chance I may be able to speak at, a, at the San Francisco Police Academy. It was still very preliminary in talking about how I can bring them value. So really it's a matter of exploring where can I bring the best benefits from my story to inspire others and ultimately help people who don't have those advantages that I was given. People who weren't born uh, with the, the gifts and the blessings that I was born with, how can we best serve them? And in doing so, how can we best serve the society that all of us share? Yeah. I love, yeah, I love that work that you're doing. It's really, for me, the word compassion popped into my head and just teaching compassion for others because and like you said, everybody's got a different set of circumstances they grew up with and a different story. And 
that's been a big theme at my mom's actually been reading a few of these um, books about homelessness and she's, she's really passionate about, she works the low um, uh, affordable housing complex units here in in Minneapolis a nonprofit. And so she's been sharing with me a lot about just that your environment you grew up in is just so, so big sometimes. And it's good to just bring that perspective. And I love how you're bringing that into the community at such a deep level and within the prisons and the, um, the police officers and just the law enforcement in general. Like I, I think for everybody, it's super important to not judge and to not snap to conclusions because you just never know. Like I, for, for me, I always say until, until this, you know, person proves me to be what, what people say they are, I'm not going to view them that way. I'm going to, cause you just never, you never know. So I, I thank you for doing that work in the world. The world needs it. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Tim. Yeah. You know, behind, uh, behind bars and behind badges beat the hearts of human beings. Yeah. You know, yeah. and we, it's, it's no, it's no more right to label a person because he or she wears a uniform of a police officer. than it's right to label a person because he or she wears the uniform of a prisoner. Hmm. You know, there it's, we, we, I, at least for me, I can tell you it's benefited me so much. It's given my life meaning to look behind these labels, to look behind the uniforms, to look behind the badges and behind the bars. Uh, does it help the people who wear those uniforms? I don't know. Maybe it does and maybe it doesn't. It definitely helps me. There's, yeah. uh, you know, Marcel Proust says that uh, a discovery lies not in seeing new landscapes, but in having new eyes. Hmm. that's what this has done for me. It's given, it's helping to give me a new set of eyes, helping uh, to improve my own life and hopefully bring something of value to the world around me. Yeah. Yeah. I like how you said that. And I, earlier you said something too, which was, you know, life's not always about how we live it, but how we perceive to live it or something along those lines. And yeah, yeah I think that's uh it's a, yeah, it's a good point to bring up, you know, you can view things in a lot of different ways and, seeing with a new set of eyes is it can be a, a big a big lesson learned and a big way to shift the your reality in a lot of ways so so yeah. cool thank you for sharing all that and so what um i, I noticed you did some or work with defy ventures i was curious what that was defy ventures is an amazing organization they are a nonprofit delivering employment and entrepreneur training to persons who are or were incarcerated I joined Defy's program and became an entrepreneur back in, uh, I guess it was 2015 I joined. I was, thanks to Defy's help, I sold services to Cisco, LinkedIn, Google, Slack. I was able to uh, deliver a a guest lecture at MIT. Wow. It's, yeah, it's, well, it's amazing. And these organizations, yes, they did get value from what I brought. However, it speaks much more to these organizations' support of Defy Ventures because they, they would have never, although I brought them value, they would have never brought me in had I not been associated with Defy. So these yeah. organizations, people within them are deeply committed to, like we were saying, Tim, to uh, giving opportunities to persons turning their lives around. Hmm. It's, it's a wonderful thing to be a part of. These, uh, some of the tech firms here in San Francisco, Defy Ventures, it's uh defy is also in new york nebraska indiana southern california the state of washington or at least uh versions of defy are in that those places this defy ventures is the one firm i'm most familiar with 
but there are a lot of incredible people doing amazing work in our prison systems. There was, uh, there was a great documentary on Bard College. Uh, Ken Burns was involved in making a documentary and Bard College is going into, I think, a maximum security prison in New York. The, the point is, you know, um, we, we incarcerate uh, the, the men and women who are incarcerated, at least the ones I've worked with, you know, we, we know we made mistakes. We know we committed crimes. We know we, we hurt people and we hurt ourselves. America being the land of opportunities and the land of second chances, it's uh, people like those who work at the Five Ventures, people like those at Cisco and LinkedIn and Google and Slack who really, uh, who, who really make that our reality and who are doing more and more so. There's a great deal of work left to be done, but there are some incredible people doing it. I'm grateful to play some small role in it all. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of, speaking of work, I, I noticed you mentioned a few times that you, your dreams always been to be a writer. And if I'm not mistaken, you, you have been writing a book or it's, it's complete. Do you want to touch on that for a second? Uh, yeah, I'd love to. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, it's called My Addiction and Recovery. We got to talk about it. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's being published in April. I have a, an awesome publisher. They're called Lifestyle Entrepreneurs Press. It's uh, the launch date is April 14th. And, you know, what it, addiction memoirs often give the reader a sense of the depths to which a human being can sink. This is very important. What my, uh, my memoir does a little bit differently is it gives readers a sense of the heights to which a human spirit can soar. Hmm. You know, you'll, you'll understand what I put myself through and what I put others through with my addiction. You as a reader will, I think, even more grasp how transformation is possible how we can take ourselves, you can take yourself or your loved one can take him or herself from these depths of despair, really to heights of bliss and gratitude and service to others. That's exciting. Exciting that that's, uh, that's coming to life. So um, yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy that, that you get to experience that and, and get to touch the world with your words. Um, that's yeah, really cool. your dream. You know, if you're, if you're listening, yeah, and sorry to interrupt them, but Go know, ahead. Most into, per, pursue your dreams. You, you were put on this earth with a dream, you were put on this earth with aspirations, whether you believe some higher power put you on this earth or, or whether the universe or whatever it is that's in your life, uh, don't look back years from now not, not having pursued your dream. Hmm. Don't, it's like we were saying before, take the pain of discipline, don't put it aside and experience the pain of regret. It's gonna be sacrifice. I, you know, every night of the week, Tim, there is something I want to do. There's a, a social event I'd like to go to, or a, or you know, even an entertaining series on uh, on Netflix. Or there's something I want to do that I put aside in favor of being in bed every night early, so that I can get up before dawn and write my book mm-hmm. or write my newsletter. You know, I, yeah. every night I'm every night of the week almost I'm doing that. It takes discipline, but you know, for your listeners. Really consider taking that pain of discipline and not having to experience the pain of regret. It's going to yeah. be tough, but you know it doesn't. There's a, somebody was telling me the other day these things they don't get easier, but you get grittier. Hmm. You will find that the rewards of adopting that pain of discipline and pushing yourself through, and, and uh, like we were saying before, controlling your thoughts and envisioning that future and letting that future pull you towards it. 
you will find that the rewards far outweigh the pain of the discipline that you put forth. Yeah. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I enjoyed being a part of it. And the call to action here is pretty clear. Ed said it at the end there, and it's follow your dreams. It's really just truly chase them. I mean, if if you can look at anyone's life and and say, if he did it, if he came out of that and he was still able to pursue the things that he wanted to pursue, why can't I? This is a perfect story. And I love how Ed also says that there's a lot of people out there who are very wise who have gone through the problems that I'm going through. And so if you're going through a problem and you don't know what to do, find somebody out there who has a lot of wisdom and who has been through the problem that you've been through and study them, see what they did, and you can apply their lessons to your life. So with all this being said, all this new information, all this new knowledge, this great story that Ed shared with us, go out there in the world and make those dreams a reality. I'll see you next time. Peace.